Hello there. Going through a divorce? Considering one? Sorry to hear that. But here you are. Welcome to Splitsville. You'll find Splitsville to be a pretty unique place. A new world, really, with its own rules, its own expectations, and in many ways, its own language. But don't worry. You have a knowledgeable guide along the way. A family law attorney with three decades of experience under her belt. And now, here she is. Your host and guide, Lee Sellers. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Welcome to Splitsville. I'm your host and guide, Lee Sellers, founder of Touchstone Family Law. And in this episode, I'll be answering another question that many newcomers to Splitsville have. What about the fur babies? So let's dive in. So today, I'm excited to have one of the associates at Touchstone Family Law joining me, uh, Giovanna Mastro. And Giovanna has the cutest, most beautiful puppy named Theo that I get to stalk on Instagram and occasionally will we'll show up at the office and, and make us all excited. And I thought that Giovanna would be a really wonderful person to tackle the topic um, that comes up in divorces and separations more than we like to uh, to think about. What do you do about the furry babies of a marriage or a relationship, the cats and dogs that people are now purchasing strollers for and car seats and really putting a lot of time and, and effort and money into and certainly a lot of love. And um, they're not actually treated like children. So Giovanna has had to deal with this even more than I have uh, when she's been working on some things. So we were talking about it the other day. So she was going to come in and, and chat with us. So Giovanna, thanks for joining me. No problem. So Giovanna, first to tell anybody who's listening a little bit about you. I'm Giovanna. I was born and raised in Tampa, Florida. I went to the University of South Carolina for college, and then I went on to be a double Gamecock and went for law school as well. And I moved up to Charlotte right after law school and started practicing with Lee. And you're married? I am married. For how long? We just celebrated our two-year anniversary this past week. And currently, you are in that group of people who has a fur baby Yes. And not a two-legged child yet. No, thank goodness. <laughs> well, when we do this, we've often decided it's kind of hard to do both. But um, so tell us a little bit about some of the most common questions that, that we run across when we have uh, somebody who comes in and they're, they're working through what's going to happen if they move out and separate with their, their spouse and they're, they're starting to be worried about the dog. Well, some of the first questions are, you know, who would get the dog or would a court give the dog to me? Or is that something that we need to work out on our own? Or, I mean, they really have no idea how to treat the dog. Obviously, we like to treat the dog as we would a child, but the court doesn't see it that way. In North and South Carolina, pets are treated as property and that's it. So to the dismay of many people, the court doesn't really care as much as you do about your pets. So people have a lot of questions about that and who's going to get custody, but there's not really quote unquote custody of yeah, pets. That's right. Because in both the states that we practice in North and South Carolina, they are considered like household goods. And, and so mm -hmm. they're going to treat a dog or a cat or really any pet the same as they're going to treat the couch or the toaster or 
really anything else in the house that's been purchased. Exactly. And that makes a lot of people very upset. It does. I I know. I've, I've been involved in that conversation myself. So when you go, let's talk about some of the problems that we have. Let's talk about what happens when somebody comes in and they're talking about the pet and they actually purchased the pet before they got married. So let's talk about that problem. Yeah. It's not marital property if it's purchased before marriage. So whether you were married or not at the time is really important because even if you bought the dog together while you were engaged, the person that really funded it, it's their dog and it's considered their separate property. So it wouldn't even be included in the marital estate. So let's talk about what are you going to have to prove if you go to court and you weren't married when when the dog was purchased? And so we're talking about separate property and you're trying to convince the court that it's your separate property and not not your soon-to-be ex's separate property. What are the things that you need to start scrounging around and looking for that might convince the court legally that you are the legal owner of this this pet and therefore it's yours? Well, if you have an adoption certificate or a certificate from the breeder of ownership, if you have anything in your bank records that show a payment towards the dog, if you have yourself on record as the primary owner at the veterinarian, all of those things can be important in proving that. So what if you are both on the adoption certificate? Then I would say that it's really the funding that would be the primary thing to look at. That would be going into your bank statement, figuring out if there if you wrote a check, you could get the check from your mm-hmm. bank records, anything that shows proof of payment. And this is one of the other things. So like, what about like doggy daycare cost and vet cost and, and all of these other costs? Would you think it'd be important for them to gather the records of, well, maybe I don't own the dog in the sense that I didn't get put on the title, but I'm the only one taking the dog to the vet, the only one taking the dog to the daycare, the only one paying for it, do you think? Yeah, I definitely think that would be helpful. Those are big costs. Veterinary, I mean, insurance costs for dogs, because that's a thing now. And I, by the way, highly recommend it. (laughs) I learned the hard way. But all of those things can go into what to consider when you're considering marital versus separate property. Now, when you're married... And it's conceded that the dog was purchased or the cat or the iguana or whatever we're talking about, but the pet was purchased during the marriage, then it really wouldn't matter how it's titled, correct? Because marital property doesn't really follow title. Yeah, exactly. So in that case, what would you do if you were going and you're trying to convince the court that, you know, it is marital property and it should be given to one of the spouses over the other? In that case, I would still look at, you know, who's put more money into it, who's the primary person on the insurance, who's put on the daycare records, who pays the daycare records, who has more time to spend with the dog. I mean, if one person's a stay-at-home parent and the other one's working and traveling all the time, it wouldn't really make much sense to put it with. I mean, that's not something the court has to consider, but when you have someone who's equally funding the dog and there's no proof of ownership on either side, I mean, that is something that you can take into consideration. And what about when the the animal is a pet of a child, when you do have children involved? Do you think that factors into the ownership? Oh, for sure. I mean, if it's the kid's pet, I think whoever has custody of the kid, that would be a heavy consideration on where the dog is going to go because you know, the child would be heartbroken if their buddy, the dog, doesn't come with them. Now, to be fair, 
we do occasionally have situations where people are just being really spiteful and they just want to prevent somebody from having something that they want because they're hurt. So most of these arguments about it being his or hers or, you know, yours or mine really are, I think, the rarer of the discussions, don't you? These days, most people seem to accept that the other owner has an equal vested interest and love for the animal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say for the most part. So what we have found, or what I've been listening to to you talk about as much, because I, I will admit I have not had as many of those issues in the cases that I've had lately with the um, the dog ownership, but you seem to have had a great deal of dogs and cats coming up in, in some of the agreements you've been working on. But if you are going to try to go to an attorney, and that is an important issue, and you want to make sure that you are covering your bases and figuring out how you and your spouse or ex-spouse are going to share the cost and the possession of and the the care of, you know, these animals are, what are some things that you, you have found that you need to really put into the documents, the agreement or the consent order? Yeah, I think people just need to be realistic. Again, who has the time to take care of the pet? Who has a bigger yard? If one person's moving into an apartment complex and the other person keeps the marital residence with the fenced-in yard, it makes more sense for the person that has the yard to keep the pet. Like I said, time to spend with the pet. If one person works a lot and travels, the other person would have way more time to spend if they were staying home. Another thing, you know, financial resources. If one party has a greater financial ability to take care of the, the pet's health, the pet's daycare costs, the pet's insurance costs, that may be a big factor into it. The kids, again, who's going to have custody of the kids? Is there 50-50 custody? You know, you really can do anything when you make an agreement. And it's better for you and the pet to make that agreement because if you go to court, the court is not going to split custody of your dog. They're going to give it to one person or the other. They're going to look at those financial considerations and they're just going to award it just like they would your couch and they will never think about it again. But I mean, that's what you have to live with. So I always encourage my clients to make an agreement rather than let the court decide, especially with pets. And it really can to be, you know, one of the things that I've noticed and the reason it's not involved in a lot of my cases is possibly because I'm just not very patient with it because I'm the one that has to go into court and stand there with the judge that I have to appear in front of <laughs> repeatedly and, and tender these arguments on behalf of my clients. And the judges actually will make it rather painful. Oh if yeah, you, they don't want to hear about your dog yeah, or your furniture or any of that. Exactly. So those are the kind of things where, you know, they almost, I find, just get so irritated. I worry about how it impacts the rest of my client's case. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And and so I'm often not real keen on, on going and taking that issue to a judge. So I, I think I've just managed to talk everybody out of it. I did litigate possession of a German Shepherd once many, many years ago. And after both sides had spent $12,000 litigating over who was going to get the German Shepherd. I really don't think that anybody was satisfied. It, it was just such, a, <laughs> such an ordeal. But let's talk a little bit about some of the things that give some examples of, for people that may not have even thought about it, that you've had, you've put provisions in that you felt like worked really well in some of the um, consent orders or separation agreements that you've done about how to share ownership, continued care for these pets? Because I know you had one, I think, where they were splitting the cost of um, the veterinary bills mm -hmm. in some sort of a pro-rata fashion. Yeah, they would split, you know, there was one that the 
pet would actually travel back and forth with the children. And so the children had kind of an, I think almost a 50-50 custody split. And so if it was traveling back, it would be with both parents. And so they were equally splitting the cost. So they would do, just like they did with their child support, they did the pro rata share of what their incomes would be to split the pet expenses as well. And I have definitely had some where I've seen where you had the agreed upon pet bills. Like there was a ceiling, especially as you had older pets and pets that perhaps had extraordinary medical expenses, life-sustaining, uh, pre-digested food, cancer treatments. I mean, we can, and you know, horses fall into this category too. So it can be really, really expensive. So we have seen people agree to share up to a dollar amount per pet mm-hmm. and then just leave it to the other person, especially since, you, you know, you really can't get in there with the vet fighting over the treatment. Yep. Yeah, because the vet definitely will go with who's on the ownership. Oh, definitely. <laughs> so mm-hmm. If you don't actually have the ownership um, papers, you know, it, it you will get a little squirrely at the veterinarian's office because you really can't argue them down if you're the non-owner. And price-wise, neither. <laughs> It is. Let's talk briefly about what happens when the pet passes. We have also had to put provisions in certain agreements on how to take care of the Yes, some people are very adamant about how the ashes are going to be shared between parties. Or, you know, we've had one person stuff a beloved pet and they fought over that in mediation The taxidermy cat. Yes. So if you are very adamant about that, and I don't know if I got to that point, if I would be, I mean, some people are, I really don't understand, but yeah, I mean, we can put provisions to split the cat's ashes like we did in the one agreement. You know, the cat had passed a couple years ago and we actually split the ashes in half in the agreement. And split the cost of a new vessel for... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that the best thing is, is that if you have these issues, you just really need to think it through, talk to the attorney and just really try to negotiate, be prepared to make some concessions in another place in your agreement in mm-hmm. another area to sort of accomplish what you need to for your pet. Yeah, I would. And like I said, in agreements, you can do whatever you want if you're willing to sit down and actually negotiate and come to that agreement. But we do know that if, it, if you do try to take it to a judge, they are going to give it to one person or another and probably slap somebody with some tourney feeds that, yeah. that loses the argument for not being able to figure it out. Yeah. Um, we will say that in the, the issue of the stuffed cat, it was eventually the mediator who ended up with the stuffed cat to resolve the argument. And so it is there. Yep. Every time we go, it's still there. The cat is still there. Well, Giovanna, I think that one of the reasons why you end up with more of these cases than me is because you still have a dog and then you, your spouse actually works for a company that provides care for dogs. Yes. uh, and, And pets. So you know so much more about the cost and the care and these provisions, I think, because you've seen really what people are willing to commit what resources people are willing to commit to these pets in a way that I don't think I've ever seen. Oh, you'd be surprised. The people that get upset that their dog did not get ice cream every day for a week, it, that's, I mean, yeah, that happens. And, and, and I think it's a new, newer 
yeah, trend. Blame that, our generation. Well, I don't know that I would blame you guys, but I do feel I'm a little more tone deaf to the discussions <laughs> than you are. And so you're always very sympathetic and, and work really hard to come up with, with creative solutions. But it is heartbreaking when a family is breaking apart and the dog or cat or horse or any of the, these pets, you know, can't live with both of them all of the time. It's really tough. And it can be tough on the animals too, especially mm-hmm. if they're used to a particular level of care or a have a real fondness. Mm-hmm. So to some extent, um, a lot of people will think about like who the animal is more aligned with and, um, and try to keep them comfortable in that way. But sometimes you have situations where you've, you've literally got a housing problem where you just cannot have housing anymore that actually accommodates a pet. And some apartments won't allow certain dogs. I mean, that's a big consideration as well. So do you ever have any of your clients that have actually ended up having to give the dogs up, like outside of the family? No, not yet. But I mean, I could see where that could happen, where neither of them had the resources or the capacity to care for them and fostering them. And I mentioned that because my pet that just passed away, I actually fostered out of a divorce situation. Oh, really? Yeah. And so this pet lived with me for 10 years and actually came to me because during the divorce, the expense of, they had three dogs, the expense of the two separate households and the cost of the three dogs and all of their related expenses, it was just no longer feasible. I never knew that. Yeah. And so that is one thing I think that, you know, um, you could consider if cost is going to become the option, it's not affection, is try to find a family member or a, or friend, a close yeah. friend mm-hmm. um, or neighbor that you can trust that would still allow you some access to the pet because I know that these children would come back. So they did not get rid of all of their dogs, but they this one was the youngest and they felt it would be the easiest on this dog. Mm-hmm. to go to a new family. And so they we took in the dog, but they would still come and get to play with the dog and, and see pictures. And so it's not a, um, it wasn't legally set up that way. It was just a, a decision that the family made for best. So I think you can always come up with something, but I do think that it is important for people to know when they're going through this, that the court system is the last place you want to go with this argument. Yes, the last So beware. (laughs) So if you have a particular pet issue and you want to have a truly compassionate, hardworking attorney work you through these questions, call and ask for Giovanna specifically because she actually does love to to help people out with this one. And I think she knows that uh, she would want somebody to take just as much care for her beautiful Theo if anything were to ever happen. Thanks, Giovanna. You're welcome.